If, as you are approaching Richmond Bridge from London, you turn aside from George Street and make your way through one of the narrow passages which lead off it to the right, you will find yourself on Richmond Green, a broad expanse of grass, fringed with trees, and surrounded by handsome, red-brick Georgian houses. Anyone passing that way after breakfast on July 7, 1843, might have seen the door of one of these houses open, and a grubby, undersized, rather wild-looking man of about fifty emerge, garbed as a curate of the Church of England. The rain which had fallen earlier that morning had cleared away, and, after glancing about him with an air of studied unconcern, for he did not wish his wife to think that anything unusual was afoot, the curate proceeded to stroll up and down the green as though taking the air. But he did not remain alone for long. Before many minutes had passed, there arrived on the scene a gentleman of military bearing and appearance, looking about as though in search of somebody or something. The curate at once accosted him, and the two, having shaken hands, were soon engaged in animated conversation. From their manner, an observer might have deduced that the curate and his companion were discussing some project or plan. This deduction would have been correct. But the project was no ordinary project. Nor could the curate, by any stretch of the imagination, have possibly been described as an ordinary curate. By experience and outlook, no less than by origin and upbringing, the Reverend Joseph Wolfe, D.D., lately curate of High Hoyland in Yorkshire, was as different as he well could be from the mild young clerics who had already begun to provide a target for the wit of contributors to the daring new periodical for which the past two years had been appearing under the title of Punch or the London Shivery. His appearance and manner, too, were distinctly unusual. He is, wrote a female contemporary, a strange and most curious-looking man, in stature, short and thin, and his weak frame appears very unfit to bear the trials and hardships to which he has been and will be exposed in his travels. His face is very flat, deeply marked with smallpox, his complexion that of dough and his hair flaxen. His grey eyes roll and start and fix themselves at times most fearfully. They have a cast in them which renders their expression still wilder. His pronunciation of English is very remarkable. At times it is difficult to understand him. However, his foreign accent gives originality to his lectures, aided occasionally by vehement gesticulation. His voice is deep and impressive, at times having given way to great and deep enthusiasm, and having arrested the attention of his hearers, he sinks at once down into some commonplace remark. His voice becomes a most curious treble the effect of which is so startling, one can scarcely refrain from laughter. Born at Wielersbach in Bavaria in 1795, Joseph Wolfe was the son of a rabbi. From an early age he had shown a keen interest in theological matters. Already at seven he had started to question the fundamental tenets of the Jewish faith, thereby causing his aunt by marriage, an impatient woman, to throw the poker at him. Subsequently, from a chance remark, dropped by a barber named Spice, he had conceived the desire to learn more about Christianity, 
Thenceforward, he addressed himself to any Christian teachers who would be bothered with him, whether Lutheran or Catholic, and for the next ten years explored with them a wide field of doctrine and dogma, showing a pertinacity and a disputatiousness which left those whom he encountered exhausted and, as often as not, exasperated. It was not until 1812 that, having reached the age of seventeen, he finally decided to dismiss the claims of the Lutherans and was received into the Church of Rome by the abbot of a Benedictine monastery in Prague. No sooner had he embraced Christianity than Wolf, his imagination fired by the example of St. Francis Xavier, conceived the desire to become a missionary and preach the gospel in distant lands. With this aim, he spent the next three or four years studying theology and oriental languages at the universities of Vienna and Tübingen. But his natural disputatiousness and his extreme independence of mind were soon to get him into trouble.